Let's pray together. Father, you are great and greatly to be praised. We ask that you would help us now in these moments together to humble ourselves before you and to sense the desperation that is trying to be portrayed for us in this passage to get us to look first at things that are common and temporary, but to press us deeply to look beyond that and to you. We commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. A casual approach toward any endeavor does not yield the best results. There's a new ad campaign put out by AT&T that has captured my attention. It's called Just Okay is Not Okay. So there's the okay surgeon. This is pretty interesting. You're taken into this room where a nurse is dealing with a patient and his wife, and the patient and his wife ask this question, have you ever worked with Dr. Francis? And the response is, yeah, he's okay. And the people are like, just okay? And then, and then there's the, the man in scrubs, it's Dr. Francis, of course, walking into the room, but he, he's talking to someone down the hall, and he says, guess who just got reinstated? And he walks in and says, not officially, of course. And then he addresses the patient. And he says, are you nervous? And they said, yeah. He says, yeah, me too. Don't worry about it. We'll figure something out. I'll see you in there. And walks out of the room. It's like, cancel, cancel, I'm done. Um, We all want the best doctors, we all want the best lawyers, we all want the best accountants, we want people that will exhaust their knowledge and their abilities to make things right, to do things the right way. And this is the type of person, the type of character that Solomon has. He is a persistent, incessant, unrelenting type. You could hear it as he describes his pursuits. In this section of our study, we'll observe Solomon's explanation of his pursuit of understanding this world through wisdom. Before we really dive into the text and read it and and study it, we want to lay some groundwork. Because God commends wisdom. And God commends the pursuit of wisdom. God commends submission toward wisdom, and God certainly commends wisdom living. In fact, much of God's commendation of wisdom comes through the writings of Solomon. Listen to these statements. In Proverbs 4-7, the Bible says, Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and in all your getting, get wisdom understanding. And in Proverbs 8.11, he says, For wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. And then later in that same chapter, chapter 8 and verse 35, Solomon writes, 
For whoever finds Me, speaking of wisdom, finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. So we recognize the value of wisdom. God recognizes the value of wisdom in pursuing wisdom. In fact, later on in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon will write this in Ecclesiastes 9.16. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. So we see the value of wisdom in these types of passages. And now we want to approach our text. Verse 12 of Ecclesiastes chapter 1, it says, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. Who is this? How many choices are there of one who could rule over all of Israel from Jerusalem? How many choices are there? There are only two choices. There's David and there's Solomon. And as you unfold all of the truths in this passage, this text, and, and all of, uh, in fact, chapter 1 and verse 1 elimin- eliminates the David being one because it says in chapter 1 and verse 1, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. And so we now have eliminated David from the picture and now we've arrived at one possible source. Who is it? <laughs> Solomon. So I'm just going to keep saying Solomon. People disagree. I don't think any of you do. If you do, that's fine. It's holy writ. The the biggest idea that we must understand is that God inspired this. So whether it was someone writing on behalf of Solomon, a a pseudo-Solomon, someone claiming to be Solomon, that is irrelevant to us. For me personally, I I take the text too... I take them seriously, and therefore I'm going to go with Solomon as being the the penman and author of these things. Verse 16, it says, I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. We're talking about Solomon, the son of David. We want to talk about this for a couple of minutes. This is is vital. He's about to introduce to us a search for meaning in life, a search for purpose in life, a search for understanding the way things are through wisdom. And the one that is, is doing this search is Solomon, and we want to know a few things about him. You probably already know, but we're going to review it anyway. First Kings chapter 3, please. First Kings chapter 3. If you're using one of our church Bibles, you'll find that on page 282. 1 Kings chapter 3. Solomon takes the reins from David, his father. There were positive elements of Solomon and his uh, taking the baton, and there were other things that were not so great. And then later on, it gets really, really bad. Things get worse. But in verse 3, as we want to pick it up, 1 Kings chapter 3 and verse 3, Solomon loved the Lord. Walking in the statutes of David his father, only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. This is, this is idol worship, and so now he's violating command number one of the Ten Commands, Commandments, right? So we've got a real problem here. Solomon loved the Lord. He followed the, the, the ways of his father, except just this little problem here. He offered sacrifices to other gods. What to do with these kinds of things is, is a little troublesome, isn't it? Like, uh, that, this isn't good. But you know what, brothers and sisters? How many times did you sin yesterday? Kind of a morbid question to ask you first thing in the morning. But when you sinned, 
It was because you put something else on the throne other than God. What do we call that? Idol worship. So we all really struggle with what Solomon struggled with here. And God records here, Solomon loved the Lord. With a little hope here. It's a little mercy that we experience in these types of texts. Nonetheless, moving on, verse 4. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for there was... Uh, for that was the great high place, Solomon used, uh, used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on the altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and, sa- and God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, Because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life, or riches, or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind. So much so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. We're going to stop our reading there just to get that. That's the flavor. So here's Solomon. He's given this discerning, wise mind, as well as some other added bonuses. He's given this amazing wisdom. Incomparable wisdom. No comparison before and no comparison after. His wisdom is unparalleled. Look at chapter 10. 1 Kings chapter 10. Beginning in verse 1. It says, Now when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a, gr- a very great Uh, retinue with uh, camels bearing spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, uh, she told him all that was on her mind. And Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials, and the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord, that uh, there was no more breath in her. 
She was breathless. Then she said to the king, The report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom. But I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpassed the report that I heard. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. This is the, the immensity of the wisdom given to Solomon. He is wise beyond compare. The Lord Jesus referenced the wisdom of Solomon that his record of wisdom is peerless. Having been granted, granted wisdom from God is one thing, but Solomon kept pressing. He received wisdom as a gift, and Solomon kept pressing. Listen to how he writes this. Back in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, please. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. As we start to unfold the passage before us, our our text this morning is verses 12 through 18 of Ecclesiastes chapter 1. The first division of our, our discussion will be this. Pursuing wisdom from a purely earthbound perspective results in emptiness. Pursuing wisdom from a purely earthbound perspective results in emptiness. We'll see this in verses 13 through 15. Look at verse 13. And I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun. And behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. He, he, he tells us he applied his heart. This is repeated again in verse 17. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. He applied his heart. The word applied is the Hebrew term Nathan, Natan, however you want to pronounce it. It, it has the idea of being a gift. It's very interesting. I, 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 I pondered this quite a bit over the last period of time. Natan, Nathan, is a gift. Something is given to you. But this, he's using that same Hebrew word as a way to apply himself or to dedicate himself or to give himself to something. So, first off, God grants great wisdom and knowledge and understanding to Solomon. And secondly, Solomon throws himself into this pursuit. He has given himself to this, the the endless pursuit of understanding, of having wisdom, to, to seek and to search out. He's given himself to this task. And and what is the apparatus that he's searching with? It says, I applied my heart. This is the inner man or the center of mental, emotional, and spiritual capacities. He says, I have given every ounce of my being, I've given myself to understanding wisdom. 
It says to seek and to search out by wisdom. He is applying himself both deeply and broadly with every ounce of his being. Deeply and broadly to seek and to search out by wisdom. Philip Ryken says this, his quest was as extensive as it was intensive. He is seeking and searching by wisdom all that is done under heaven. How does it all work? What does it all mean? What is this about? What is life about? And and what's going on every day? I see the things that take place. How does this work? He has a conclusion in verse 13. After he applied, he gave himself, he threw himself into this task with all of his his resources, everything he is, everything he has. He throws himself into it to seek and to search out by wisdom what's done under heaven. Here's his conclusion. It is an unhappy business. Unhappy is the Hebrew term ra. Now ra, this is not marine speak. Ra is what the Marines say to one another when they walk by one another to say hi. Ra. No, not that. When we say ra in the Hebrew, we're talking about something unprofitable, unholy, wicked, disastrous. It is a disastrous business that God, this is the first mention of God in the book of Ecclesiastes. It is a It is an unhappy business that God has given the children of man. Man, in this instance, is the Hebrew term Adam. It could say, it could read, the children of Adam. And I would would actually tend toward that conclusion. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of Adam to be busy with. Well, Solomon, you've been busying yourself Looking at wisdom. You've been busying yourself, toiling in all these ways, looking in an earthbound way at all the things that are going on. You've busied yourself, and your result is busyness bites. The business we've been given stinks. That's what he said. Um, All right. He's already told us about his observation of nature that points to no progress. The sun rises, the sun sets, the winds blow, the streams stream, and there's no progress. He's already told us this. He's already told us that there's no no full satisfaction of our senses in verse 8. The ear is not satisfied with hearing. The eye is not satisfied with seeing. He's already told us this. He's also told us that that his personal experience in life, what we realize is that there's nothing new and nothing lasting and there's no remembrance. Now he looks at the toilsome task given to man by God. And this is the first mention of God in the book. We wake up, we brush our teeth, we take a shower, we put some clothes on, we make our bed, we eat our breakfast. Is the laundry ever done? For a minute but you're wearing some clothes that have to be washed. Are the dishes ever done? Well, yeah, for a minute, but then you're going to eat on some plates again. 
is the lawn care ever complete? The grass is going to grow again. Are the floors ever permanently cleaned? No. No, it's not finished. It's just wearisome. Verse 14. Now remember, right now he's doing something to us. You've got to remember this. this he's, he is using rhetoric. He's using rhetorical devices to get us somewhere. This is a conclusion based upon one perspective. So we're going to keep driving at that perspective that he is trying to press us into. He's doing it on purpose. Verse 14, I have seen everything that is done under the sun. I've seen everything that's done under the sun. I have have exhaustively looked at every conceivable thing on this side of the sun. And behold, all is vanity. It's temporary. It's transient. And it's a striving after wind. Striving. Striving. The word can mean feeding. Feeding. Or it can mean shepherding. Because it can mean either. We'll just use feeding for our discussion here. We'll use feeding. Feeding on the wind. It's like eating an air burger. Now, I, I was curious about this because I've heard lots of, lots of different burgers. Um, and, and, I, and I looked up the word burger. Did you know that burger is short for... Did you know this? Ready? Hamburger? Yes. Burger is short for hamburger. And yet, there are black bean burgers, and there are portobello burgers, and there are soy burgers... If you want a real burger, it should have some meat in it, for me. A hamburger, something that has something to sustain you, not a mushroom. Mushrooms are great as an accentuation of other things, but not as the main course. What's the matter with you? I'm kidding. If you like portobello burgers and have at it, soy burgers, enjoy it. Uh, Sorry about that. Black bean burgers. I, I I went to lunch with Dr. Myron one time. This is years ago in Iowa. He was like, well, we're going to have this black bean burger. They're really good. I'm thinking, all right, this is black beans and a burger. And it like actually was literally, the burger was supposed to be black beans. Did you know, like, if you put some black beans on top of the burger, I'd be like, all right, I guess. I wouldn't do it myself, but that's all right. I'll try it. But, it, like, the burger was just beans. It's not a burger. So I, I, I kind of exhaust that topic just a little bit because I want you to be um, impressed with what I have come up with. We're feeding. When, when, we, when we search for meaning under the sun through wisdom alone, earthbound wisdom, we're simply finding air burgers to eat. It's like, oh, there it is. Look at it. It's a bun and a burger and some bacon and some cheddar and some... Ketchup? I don't do ketchup on my burgers, but ketchup and some mayonnaise and some onion on that air burger. All right, ready? Take a bite. How do you feel? If I were Tony Robbins, you would probably feel great because he's really motivational. I am not. I'm making you feel badly because that's what Solomon is trying to do. Chase and chase and toil and toil and try to find meaning under the sun simply based on under the sun and you're just sucking the wind. I'm glad I have some wind in my lungs because if I did not be dead. 
but it will not sustain me. I'm still going to be hungry. I will still be weak. Air burgers get you nowhere. And he uses air burgers again later. So keep that in mind. Solomon caps this subunit. Okay? And what's, what is this unit about? I'm pursuing, I'm applying my heart to understand by wisdom all that's done under the sun. Every conceivable thing I've tried to do to try to figure this out, I've applied myself to this task. It is an unhappy business that God has given us. It is vanity, nothing to hold on to, nothing to really grip. I, I, I can't chase it down. I can't bottle it up. And, and it's striving after the wind. I'm just eating air burgers. And so he follows this with a proverb in verse 15. Listen to what he says. What is crooked cannot be made straight. And what is lacking cannot be counted. What is crooked cannot be made straight. And what is lacking cannot be counted. His proverb is essentially, all the problems that you see around you, you will not solve them. You will not solve all these problems with your exhaustive mind. You will not solve them with all that you learn and all that you take in. Later on in the book of Ecclesiastes, he uses the similar phraseology, but he gives us a broadening out of it. And I think it's worth our time for just a moment to consider what he says in chapter 7. Take a look at Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. He's giving us a theological element to it in chapter 7. What he says, beginning in verse 13, Consider the work of God. Who can make straight? What he has made broken, or made crooked, excuse me. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. God is putting us in a place of realizing where our real dependence needs to be, where our real sustenance really can be, where our real satisfaction really can be. He's, he's showing us our frailty and the end of our own resources. This is a way to drive us toward him. We need this. You and I need this. Not just as unbelievers, that is a believer. Every day you go through your routine, some of the things that you do, they're really annoying. I'm not saying you're annoying to me. I'm saying the things you're doing, they're annoying to you. There are things you don't like about the, your routine. That you, there's no choice. You don't have any choice. You have to do these things. And sometimes they can feel very uh, boring or unfruitful. And what God will do in the course of our study, is to help us to understand that actually in all those boring and irritating things, you can have great joy. You can have great joy, even in the midst of these things that are less than stellar. Even in these things that are less than your favorite, you can have joy. You can enjoy the good things that God has given to you, even while experiencing difficulty. With all of your efforts, we're back to chapter 1, and we're Considering this proverb, what is crooked cannot be made straight. 
With all your efforts, can you solve world hunger? With all of your efforts, can you cure cancer? With all of your efforts, can you fix a broken relationship? This is not to say that you do not do your part to aid an individual to perform research or to donate to research or to reach out to an offended party. This is to say you are not capable of solving these challenges simply based upon earthbound wisdom. Is there an end uh, in the second half of the proverb in verse 15? What is lacking cannot be counted. Is there an end to all of the lack? Can you put a number on all of the distresses of this life? That's one way to take that part of the proverb. It's like, what is lacking can't be counted. There is so much lacking that you can't even put a label on all of that which lacks. That's one way to read it. Another way to to read it is this. When you come to realize that there is an insufficiency of funds, how how can you count it? Here's an illustration, okay? Later on today, I want you to think about this. You are in debt by $2. Ready? You're in debt by $2. I want you later on to take out negative $2 and put it on the table. Can you do it? You could write negative $2 on a piece of paper and say, here's negative $2, but it's not negative $2. You, you can't produce negative $2. The things that are lacking can't be counted. When you realize after all the striving and everything else that there's no gain, that's what he said in chapter 1 and verse 3, there's no gain. If you're in the deficiency column, you can't count the, the, the profit. There's nothing there. This is what he's telling us. Vanity. It's an air burger. There's nothing there. If you're stuck on this plane, if you're stuck under the sun, if you don't know who this loving, sovereign ruler of this universe is, you'll be stuck with an insufficiency of funds and no way to count it. You'll be stuck with things that are bent and no way to straighten it. You'll be stuck lacking. Pursuing wisdom from a purely earthbound perspective results in emptiness. Does that make sense? I think, that's, I think that summarizes 13, 14, and 15 for us. Now as we move to 16, 17, and 18, it's, it's very little difference in our phraseology here. Ready? Pursuing wisdom from a purely earthbound perspective results in frustration. Results in frustration. So now I have to do a little exercise with you. Okay? There's both English and Hebrew on here. What you'll notice from left to right in this passage, Hebrew a lot of times is out of order, and, and the way that we translate it has to, we have to move the words around. But this one is straightforward. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, right, right through as you translate or transliterate from one to, to the other. Um, and what you'll notice is the parallelism. This is why I wanted to bring it up, because it's super simple. It's super simple. I know you're looking at the Hebrew letters, and you're like, well, it's simple. It is, it's very simple. What you'll notice, much, and there, much. You can see it. It's a parallelism. There's much wisdom, much grief. There are no Hebrew words in between it. Much wisdom, much grief. And on the other side of the equation, after the, after the conjunction, the and, is, it says increasing knowledge, Increasing pain. Nothing in between. There's, there's no transitional words. He simply says this. Here's, here's what you need to know. There's 
if you have much wisdom, here's the result, much grief. If you have increasing knowledge, here's the result, increasing pain. Oh, this doesn't sound very pleasant. He's letting us know that this pursuit of earthbound wisdom results in frustration and pain and sorrow and distress. That's the conclusion of the paragraph, okay? So now we're going to look at the paragraph a little bit more uh, for, for just a moment here to, to, to gather it. Verse 16. He said, I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom. Great wisdom. Now he uses a, a word that means a magnified wisdom, a, 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 an expansive wisdom. I have this incredible, expansive wisdom surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. The extent of his wisdom, again, is unparalleled. Verse 17, he says, And I applied my heart, again, same phraseology as verse 13, I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. That's one way you can read it. Or you could read it this way. I have applied my heart to no wisdom and knowledge, comma, madness and folly. Either way, you've got the same idea. You've got wisdom and knowledge in one category, folly and madness in the other category, which really is, is really pushing us toward the next uh, argument in chapter 2. He tried to press the boundaries. He tried to press the boundaries to figure out both by wisdom and knowledge and by madness and folly, what in the world is profitable? What is going to, to, to last? What is going to make life make sense? What did they come up with? You guessed it. Another air burger. Look at what he says. Now I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is but a striving after wind, I try to, try to grab it and I try to do something with it and it just leaves me lacking, lacking, but it gets worse. It's not just lacking. It's not just taking a bite of nothing and not getting anything to sustain you. It actually gets worse. His wisdom yields frustration. His wisdom yields frustration. In much wisdom is much vexation. He who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Why? Because I've exhausted all of the solutions and there is nothing. It's not enough. Listen, I'm a simple guy. I really am super simple. Like, I, like if, if my wife is around, I'm happy. If, my, if there's some food, I'm happy. I'm not like trying to solve the world's problems. I don't, you know, the world's problems are apparent to me, but I don't, like, go exhausting trying to figure them out because they're there and I can't fix them. I'm just very simple. I can be very happy. I could be happy. I could sit in my chair over in my house, and if there's food and my wife and my kids and, and you know, things are peaceful, no one's fighting, I will be super happy because I'm simple. Some people's minds are not simple like mine. Some people are always trying to work on something, trying to figure something out. And the more you dive in to, to different topics, the more you're frustrated. The more you look into world politics and 
United States politics, you just find yourself like, what? what? What's the matter with you people? Right? But I don't look at it, so I'm happy. The more wisdom, however, the more vexation, you increase in your knowledge of these things. You're like, this is, this is broken and there is a big hammer coming and it's all going to break. You know that, right? Because you're smart people. You're just looking. The more you look, the more you experience the, the pain of it. His wisdom yields frustration, verse 18. And as he's going to tell us a little later in chapter 8, his wisdom also yields no earthly answers. Take a look chapter 8 for just a moment. We're just about to head uphill, okay? We've been plummeting the depths. We've been going down, down, down. Sad, sad, sad. We will ascend again by God's grace. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, beginning in verse 16, he writes, When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night does one's eye, do one's eyes see sleep, then I saw all the work of God. That man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However, much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. He, might, he says he's got all the answers. He doesn't. he doesn't. He can't make sense of it all. So he's letting us know again, this earthbound wisdom, not only does it yield frustration, it also yields no earthly answers. So Solomon, his, in, uh, his rhetorical endeavor is to push you and I to the depths. He is trying to help us to see the futility of earthbound and earthbound view of life. It seems as though this is how he feels. He is pressing us. But this is not his conclusion. He is investigating life and he tried it all. When we look beyond the sun, in other words, when we realize that there is a God who is present and there is a God who is good. We can see this all from a much different perspective. And that perspective is necessary for our eternal future and for our right now. Having this, this understanding of God's glory and His goodness and His presence now is necessary for our everyday life. First of all, first of all, we have to ask this question to the text that Solomon is proposing. Was the, te- te- excuse me, was the task given to man originally so burdensome? Was the task given to man originally this burdensome? That's the first question we have to ask. Or that's the question we have to ask, and then we have some other things we want to say. In the beginning, God walked regularly with Adam and Eve in the garden. They experienced some measure of the glory, peace, 
fellowship, joy and satisfaction of the God of all creation. They were fully reflective of His image and entrusted with an important task. And that task was the exercising of God's dominion over the things that God had made. As a result of the sin of Adam and Eve, the human race and the created order were placed under the curse. A curse. In God's proclamation of judgment to Adam, He declared that the ground would no longer cooperate in the same way with Adam that it had in the past. The way that the animals and man would relate was changed. It was a challenge. Instead of peaceful coexistence, the animals and man in some ways stand at odds with one another. There's a competition for the resources. Take a look at the end of this chapter to verse 24. Before we read verse 24, the affairs of life are not intended to be a source of burden And Solomon will promote the value of work in the course of his argument. We'll see one element of that here. Verse 24 of Ecclesiastes chapter 2. There is nothing better for a person that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his what? Let's try that again together. There is nothing better for a person that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. God intends our toil, even, to produce satisfaction and joy and peace. One of the joys of our eternal existence with God, you hearing me? One of the joys of our eternal existence with God will be the joyful, peaceful, worshipful service of God. Listen to these texts. In Revelation chapter 7 and verse 15, Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His what? Presence. Serving Him in His presence. The word serve there is the Greek term letruo. Letruo. You can use, use it as service here or as it's used in Revelation 22 that we'll see right now. In Revelation 22 and verse 3, the Bible says this, No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. Letruo. Serve, worship. Serve, worship. They go hand in hand. One of the joys of our eternal existence will to be, will to be being in the presence of God Worshipping Him and serving Him. This service and worship of God will be the joy and satisfaction of our being. This is is what's to come. When we look above the sun, beyond the sun, beyond this earth, beyond the temporary, beyond this earth's earthbound wisdom, and we see the wisdom that comes from God, we recognize that there is a service to come, a service before God that will be joyous and it will be eternal 
And it will be in His presence. As we walk through the course of this life, no matter what our business, God has given us all we need to participate in our business with joy. In Galatians 5.22, it says the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy. You can go on. You can read the rest of it. Love and joy. A peaceful fellowship with God, the way that that results itself or demonstrates itself is that there is love from God shed abroad in our hearts that that cascades in us and through us and joy from the joyous God of heaven that uh, invades us, envelops us, uh, and, and, and and it spills out into the world around us. Regardless of the task, Walking in the power of the Spirit results in joy, even in burdensome service. So Solomon, he's pressing on us. He's pressing on us. As I investigated it all, I applied my heart. I gave myself fully into this to seek and to, and to, to find out by wisdom all that's done under heaven, under the sun. I have found out that it is an unhappy business that God has granted men to be busy with unless you have God as your source and substance of eternal joy, not just for the future, but for today. Laundry, joy. Dishes, joy. Sweeping the floor, joy. Lawn care, joy. Painting the fence again, joy. Washing the car again, joy. Hugging your wife again, joy. Hugging your kids again, joy. Disciplining your kids again, joy. Going back on the road again in bumper-to-bumper traffic on the way to or from work, joy. If Jesus reigns supremely, in your life, if you recognize that God is present, that He is good, and He's entrusted this task to you for your good, you can enjoy even the most menial and frustrating tasks. Instead of them being air burgers, they will fill your inner man with peace and joy and satisfaction. This, I'm a... I've been looking forward to doing this series for two years now. I've been reading through Ecclesiastes and seeing so many, so many are frustrated with life. And God has given to us so many reasons to enjoy Him, not just in the future, but to enjoy Him now. But the problem that we face is that too often we're trying to make ourselves joyful by things, by, by pursuits, by bank accounts, by things we eat, places we go, things we do, people we hang with. We're looking for joy in all the wrong places. When joy comes, simply by knowing who He is, by placing yourself in His hands and knowing there are a whole bunch of broken things in this world, I can't, I can't fix them, but I know who, who has the answers. The only way it's going to get straightened is if God straightens it. Place yourself in His loving care. He's present and He's good. The work we've been given, the work that we've been granted by God, we should gain the right type of satisfaction in this work and exhibit God's character of joy in this work. As we look to the next element, secondly, in our looking above the sun, 
category-wise, while our earth-bound wisdom will not provide lasting satisfaction nor answers, there is a wisdom available to us that will turn the tables of futility into a deep abiding well of joy and satisfaction. Let that sit for a moment. While our earthbound wisdom will not provide lasting satisfaction or answers, there is a wisdom available to us that will turn the tables of futility into a deep abiding well of joy and satisfaction. Solomon's search was aimed in the wrong direction. He was using his own resources, his heart, and looking under the sun. Of course, this is a rhetorical exercise. He's trying to help us. The, the, the psalmist would gladly correct his vantage point. And we're going to do the same for a few minutes. Psalm 1, Psalm 1, beginning in verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, in all that he does, he prospers. Do you see the difference between eating an air burger and having a fruit tree that has roots? that are absolutely saturated with water, that will receive their proper nourishment so that the, the, the fruit will, in fact, grow and increase and you can grab one of those things and take it down. The psalmist is telling us when we look outside of our own resources and above the plane of this world, the counsels of the ungodly, when we look to the one who supplies every good and perfect gift that comes from above, when we look there, we find a a plenteous harvest of things to enjoy. It brings forth fruit in its season. This is the result. This is the difference when our vantage point is changed. If you want wisdom that transcends the clouds the sun, the moon, and the stars, wisdom that lasts longer than the number of days you travel on this earth, I can tell you where you can find it. God, God has sent a final and perfect word. Listen to what he says in John chapter 1, in verse 1 and following. In the beginning was the Word, the word logos, the incarnate word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him uh, was not anything made that was made. Later on in that same chapter, the revelation of this is and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then a few verses later, we don't have this on the screen, it says, and He is a declaration, a declaration of the Father. When we want to know God, we see Him through the person of Jesus Christ. When you want to know true and lasting wisdom, you have to find it in the final and perfect word, 
Jesus Christ. Which is why the author of Hebrews made this statement in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by or in His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things and through whom also He created the world. Jesus is that last, that perfect, that final word. He is Wisdom. Take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This is our last passage for this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This topic, we actually could re-hit this topic next week and have a lot more to say about how we counter the earthbound. We, we, I had to be very selective in, in how we were going to counter it. But 1 Corinthians chapter 1 is vital to this discussion. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 21. It says, For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. What? Hang on a second. There's wisdom from God, and there's wisdom from the world. There's true eternal wisdom, and there's earthbound man wisdom. You see that contrast? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. This is a stumbling block to the Jews and it's folly or foolishness to the Gentiles but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and what? The wisdom of God. Wisdom of God. He is the wisdom of God. If you want to lift your gaze beyond the clouds, if you want a wisdom that will endure not today and tomorrow and beyond the days you live on this earth, if you want a wisdom that is an eternal wisdom, you will only find it in God's perfect and final wisdom. Jesus Christ, crucified, buried, and risen to become your wisdom, to become for us wisdom. It says it again at the end of the chapter. We're not going to go there. The final and perfect word is Jesus Christ come in the flesh. He came to redeem a people for God, to pay a ransom price for our sin. In the life of obedience, in the crucifixion of Christ as He willingly became our sin-removing sacrifice in the burial and in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ displayed the majestic, glorious wisdom of God. His payment price was to redeem us from our sin and to redeem us from earthbound wisdom. He has freed us from being bound to the things we see. He has freed us to see that there is life beyond the sun. This life beyond the sun is a life free from pain, free from sin, free from frustration, 
free from sorrow. There we will have answers to life's hardest questions. When we are enriched by the Word of God, when we are enriched by the Word of God, as found in the Bible, our hearts are filled with thanksgiving, and our hearts are filled with rejoicing. Listen to what the Bible says in Colossians 3.16. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. I say to you, do not settle for a flawed, frustrating, short-sighted wisdom that provides no lasting answers. Instead, come to understand that God has sent divine wisdom that can provide you with lasting joy and satisfaction. Let's pray. Father, You're good. And You have given us good gifts. Help us not to settle for the gifts of the world. Help us not to settle for our own resources, our own experience, our own intellect, our personally found wisdom. But help us to entrust ourselves to You as to a God who is worthy of shepherding our souls. You've given us what we need, everything we need for life and for godliness. Help us to trust you. Help us to enjoy the things you've given. Help us not to exhaust ourselves on other things and other pursuits, but to receive freely the joy and peace and satisfaction that comes in truly knowing you. We commit ourselves to you, asking you to do your continuous work in us. In Jesus' name, amen.